man, it's good to have the guys back for Ironworks. It's been a little while, yes. It's been a while since we've gathered together. And it's good that you're here and glad to have you with us. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> one of the things I, um, I've always loved is, um, uh, since I was a little kid, is binoculars and telescopes. I mentioned on Wednesday night, the Bible's like a telescope, you know. Um, if you uh, look through it, man, you can see entire, entirely different worlds uh, and beyond. Uh, if you just look at it, it's just a telescope. And there's a lot of people that look at the Bible uh, like, a, like they're just looking at a telescope. They're not looking through it. But when you look through it, man, that's where all the excitement begins and, and letting the, the Word be that window into God's eternal plan and promises, you know, and, and I love that. And I'd like to do a, a study today that's going to start, uh, if, if we're going to keep that sort of, um, you know, telescope theme going, maybe more of a rifle scope on this uh, occasion as you, uh, as you, uh, uh, we want to hit the bullseye, but I'm going to start out with it kind of zoomed out. I, uh, I, I, I love, uh, there's a loophole scope that I, that I have that, um, uh, that uh, you know, you can start way out, but man, when you start zooming that in, it's just, uh, it's almost hard to find your target uh, when it's all already zoomed in. It's so powerful, you know, and, uh, but I, I, um, I, I kind of want to do that. We'll start off at a distance, kind of zoom in on an issue, uh, and hopefully we'll hit the mark uh, uh, today. So we'll start way off in Exodus chapter uh, 36. Exodus 36. And we'll begin in verse 20. <clears throat> Exodus 30, 36, 20. It says there, in Exodus 36, 20. And he made boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. The length of a board was 10 cubits, the breadth of a board one cubit and a half. The board had two tenons or hands equally distanced one from another. <clears throat> Thus did he make for all the boards of the tabernacle. He made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, southward. And 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. Let's fast forward to verse 31. And he made bars of shittim wood, five for the boards and one uh, of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the sides westward. And he made the middle bar to shoot through the boards from the one end to the other. And he overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold to be places for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. You, you might be saying, Brett, you're zooming way out now. Uh, you got this thing of boards and bars and sockets and silver and gold. What in the world does that have to do with ironworks? Well, here's the thing. For you engineering guys, you guys are all like, yeah, this is interesting. Sockets, boards, you know, bars, and how it's being held together and fitted, uh, the tabernacle of God. And, and uh, there's an interest, you know, just on how the structure of the tabernacle really looks. Uh, for some of you, there's a level there. But, but if you're a Bible student and you know the scriptures, the typology of the tabernacle is pretty deep. 
the tabernacle is both a picture of Jesus, which is worth studying. And remember, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus would say. Um, but but it, it also, you know, even as we, our body is a temple to the Holy Spirit, I believe the tabernacle can be sort of a picture of us and how the Lord uses us uh, and, and maybe even his church, the church of Jesus Christ and how we're fitted together to make a, a building, uh, you know, um, and there's different analogies that the Bible uses, whether it's the tabernacle or the temple, you know, uh, as far as the temple goes, you know, the New Testament t- tells us that you and I as brothers in the church and, and even the, the, the men and women of the church, we're all living stones being fitted together to make a, a temple where the Lord can dwell. And we're the church of Jesus Christ. Um, the other analogy is, of course, the body of Christ. You know, Christ is the head of the church and, and the, the people of the church, they're the body of Christ. But I was reading this, you know, recently and just seeing the boards and the bars and the way they're fitted together, thinking of how the Lord uses his church in that same way, uh, different pieces, different members, uh, different roles that we play. And we're part of a, a building whose maker is God. And he wants to use that building and he wants to dwell in that place, which we would call his body, the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, how essential those parts are. When I go to Israel with uh, some of you guys, some of you guys have been there, we, um, we go to this place in Timnah, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a nice stop because we're traveling through the Negev desert from the southern tip of Israel, headed back up toward Jerusalem, and it's a long journey. But about halfway, there, for miles and miles, there's not one blade of grass or weed uh, on the ground. It's just desert, barren desert. And we pull off the road, off, then go up this windy little road and go up to this place where there's this little tabernacle sitting. Um, and this Jewish lady who runs it, and she, she takes us through the tabernacle. It's a life-size tabernacle um, made of boards and bars and sockets. She doesn't use real gold. She uses a gold spray can of, of paint, but, uh, but, but it, it, you kind of get the idea. And it's a life-size model of the uh, tabernacle. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see. And uh, people are like, what are we doing out here in the desert in this little tent? You know, it's uh, 100 degrees out here. You know, but uh, this this little Jewish gal gives us the dissertation about how the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ, and it's really an awesome stop. And some people even have told me, Brad, that's one of my favorite stops on our Israel trip, which uh, is kind of kind of fun. Uh, but but to see it, uh, you realize each of these boards and sockets, if you pulled one of them out, the whole thing falls apart. That's the way it works. Uh, It it all kind of depends on itself to hold itself together. And I think there's a great picture in that for for you and me. We all play a role in the church of Jesus Christ. And um, one of the things that the Lord's been putting on my heart lately, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will be able to speak through me this morning because I I find it hard to say this without offending people unnecessarily. You know me, I'm not afraid to to, uh, offend people. But, um, but I know that a lot of ladies are watching today uh, out there, and so I'm, I'm having to be careful here. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the curse of the online live stream. Uh, the ladies are watching. So ladies, uh, be, 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 be careful on this one. This is important. I'm talking to the brothers this morning. Um, and and uh, one of the things that I'm concerned about is how men have largely checked out of the church um, the, 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 the feminization of the church of Jesus Christ is something I've watched from the time I was a child to the present day. 
And I am concerned, not, not as much at Athea. I love the, that we have a strong group of men leading and participating. I, I, I pray and hope we can even do better. But the, the greater church uh, is, is of great concern to me, the feminizing of the church, where uh, now you know a lot of churches and uh, ministries are uh, opening the doors for women pastors. And um, I know that uh, that's the popular hip thing, Bible doesn't teach that at all. It's not even close. To, to sort of make that argument, you have to just totally chalk off entire areas of Scripture and say, well, we just don't believe that, or it's not for today. Now, by the way, when you open that door, uh, it's, that section of Scripture is not for today. It was for the ancient times of Paul. Um, when you open that door, you have uh, suddenly holes in the dike, and you're going to have to start plugging those holes, and good luck with that. Because pretty soon you say, well, I don't agree with any of these things. In fact, uh, homosexuality, I don't like that. Ripped it out of the scriptures. Uh, you know, I don't like the idea of, of, you know, that marriage is limited to just a man and a woman. You know, uh, rip that out of the Bible. And that's what people are doing. That's what we're seeing happen in our uh, churches today. That's why so many doctrinal issues have been off the rails. Because we've just, you know, started to pick and choose the scriptures we want to say, that's for today or that's not for today. What's interesting is God made us very specifically, and I'm one of those guys that believe that God made men and women differently, and thank the Lord for that. You know, I mean, I'm I'm glad that we're different. Um, What would the world be like without women, if it was just men? This would be the worst place in the world to live. I think I'd wanna just shoot myself in the head right now. I'm so thankful for, uh, for women and, and their role that they play. And it's so sad, this women's lib and the women's movement and all this stuff that's happened in, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, one of the things I've noticed is, is women are losing on this one. The idea of, of what, what a, who a woman really is, they're the ones who are losing. Um, if, did you see the vice presidential debate, debate this week? Um, it was interesting to, to me, uh, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on politically, it was interesting to me to see, you know, it's quite different than the presidential debate. Um, and uh, I thought Pence did a good job. He was very uh, gentlemanly. And Kamala Harris, she, she you know, did, you know, had, had she said what she wanted to say. And, but, but here's the thing. Uh, Pence, there was a couple times where he just kind of softly interrupted her just a few times, uh, not, nothing compared to the presidential debate as far as inter- interruptions and stuff, uh, but, but just a few, you know, but he, I thought he was very gentlemanly. Well, he got the next day, of course, raked over the coals for, because she was a woman and he treated her horribly. And what was interesting about that, this is where I feel like women are losing out. You know, um, th- there's this kind of thing where uh, they, they want to have equality, but they also want to be treated better. Uh, and and that's, that really came out in the vice presidential debate. It's like, yeah, we want to be thought of as special and treated better, uh, but we also want to be equal. So, so suddenly the, the, the vice president, uh, Pence, had to, if he was going to be okay, he would have just said nothing just duct tape his mouth and have him sit there and let her to say whatever she wanted. That's kind of what, what the alternative to having a debate uh, would be. And, and so what happens is ultimately, I feel like women are losing out. Um, you know, the, the blessings that the Bible talks about for women. You know, the Bible gives, uh, contrary to what a lot of people 
talk about, the Bible gives great honor to the woman and puts her in a place of esteem. And that men are supposed to, I mean, our, our goal is to treat women with great honor. That's what the Bible talks about. So put that aside for a second. So, and let's talk about the men's role in the church. Well, men, we've just politely, stupidly, I think, sat by and just said, well, over the years, if women wanna do the role of men, uh, then okay, that's great. Knock yourselves out. And so we've, we've, we've become a culture that has just allowed, you know, even in the church of Jesus Christ, we, we could even talk about careers and, and family and nannies. We could get into all kinds of stuff about the equality that's happened with men and women and that push for that. And are we really better off for it? Um, but I'm not even gonna get into that. I wanna talk about the roles of men and women in the church because we're the ones who've dropped the ball, I think the worst, the church of Jesus Christ. We've dropped the ball, I say that largely, because, because you know, what happened is the roles of men, here's what typical men do. We tend to say, well, you wanna do the work and we'll just sit back and say, okay, uh, less work for me. Uh, we'll just go sit on the lazy boy with the remote control and, and watch TV. We, ladies knock us out. So, so largely, if you look around the nation, and Barna has done some research on this about the church and how while there's still more men senior pastors than there are women senior pastors in America, one of the things that's interesting is now the church is largely run by committees in churches by women. The, the, the church is largely being directed by women, even though there's still more men senior pastors, women elders, women pastors, women assistant pastors, and the church has opened up to that. And the problem is um, it's being taught, by the way, in our Christian colleges and universities, many of them. Um, George Fox made a big shift in the last decade where basically, um, man, if you believe that only men can be pastors, you are like from Satan. Uh, I've been yelled at by uh, George Fox professors. One lady, two ladies actually came on a Wednesday night that were uh, George Fox professors who came on a Wednesday night and they said, we find it interesting, Pastor Brett. You know, they were real huffy uh, that you had only a man leading worship on Wednesday. There were no women up here on stage. And, and I, we were looking at your you know, uh, you know, website and you have no women as elders and deacons and, and we think you're a chauvinistic. And they just started letting me have it there. I've never been asked uh, uh, since then to speak. I used to speak at George Fox chapels. Uh, they don't invite me anymore. Um, I'm on their bad list because we don't have women pastors and elders at Athey Creek. Now, now, why is that? What's the deal with that? Why don't you turn over to scripture with me uh, so we can show you it's First Timothy. Um, and there's, there's actually a bunch of scriptures that we could go to uh, about the role of men and women in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and people don't like this one, uh, but it's, it's scripture. And, and I want you to think about this because the argument against the scripture I'm about to read to you is that it was for that day, for Paul and for Timothy in the local application of that day, th this is what Paul was telling Timothy for then. Um, but I, I want you to look for a reason to, to say, is this for today or is this something that's for all time? Uh, and, and maybe you, you can take a look and see how you are at rightly dividing the word of truth. It says here, um, and this kind of starts to get to the crux of the matter. Um, he says, uh, let, let's just start with the whole chapter here. For, for, verse one, chapter two, 1 Timothy, chapter two, verse one. 
I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, um, starting off right there, you know, we're, we're called to pray. That's, first of all, the most important thing. And for those in authority over us, and man, whether it's Obama, Clinton, you know, Bush, or Trump, we should be praying for those who are in authority over us. We should all be praying. Uh, I mentioned that we we're going to pray for Trump uh, to be healed, you know, of the coronavirus. And, and you know, sure enough, we get uh, notes saying, you know, you guys only pray for Trump. Why didn't you pray for Obama? And I'm like, man, we prayed for Obama too. How do you, were you there when we were praying for, what, what's wrong with you? You know, like people are just weird today. Um, uh, but, but I got to be careful because we're supposed to live quietly and peaceable. Uh, and that's hard sometimes for me. Um, now, now um, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's what it says. Verse four, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, man, I love this because there's, there's those that would say, and even churches and denominations that say there are other mediators between God and man, whether it's your priest or Mary or, you know, some other saint that you're, you know, praying to or something. That, that's not biblical. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting when you go to the Vatican, which I have been uh, in Rome there in St. Peter's Basilica, it's an interesting thing to me that, that how they exonerate Peter so high in the Catholic Church. If you're from that tradition, I would just say, would Peter be happy today that his toe got kissed clean off the statue? <clears throat> Did you know they had to replace Peter's toe? in in St. Peter's Basilica, because people just, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, kissing his toe, just, he lost his toe. So they had to, you know, get out the J.B. Weld and, you know, kind of, I don't know how they did it, but they stuck another toe on there, and that one's starting to be smooth now, uh, because they're still kissing it. When you go to St. Peter's Basilica, uh, you don't see Jesus anywhere, nowhere. You see angels, and you see Peter, and you see the some dead popes. There's actually a dead pope lying in a glass coffin. You can see him. He's still there. And he was amazingly not deteriorating for a while, but he's starting to deteriorate now. Uh, his body is uh, looking more like a skeleton. It's a little creepy. There is, you're going to worship the Lord. You see this skeleton there of a dude. Um, it, it's, it's weird. Um, I, I knew that it was weird, but when I went and saw it, I, I was stunned of just the absence of Jesus in one of the biggest Well, the Catholics claim it's the biggest one. In fact, (laughs) when you go to St. Peter's Basilica um, there, the the, the church itself has marks on the floor of all the other churches, how big they are. Uh, And they mark it on the floor in marked marble so they can say, see, we're bigger. Notre Dame is only right here. Uh, you know, the, the one in New York City's right here, but, but ours is, <laughs> right. It's like, this is the biggest one. Whoopie-doo, big deal. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, I have to say, um, you know, the weirdness of that whole thing. What is the church really supposed to be like? You know, uh, the problem with some of the churches, whether Protestant or Catholic, is we put man's traditions uh, in and it starts getting weirder and weirder. Uh, you gotta stick with the Bible. Some people say, what do you, Brett, know about the church? This is barely a church. Where's the cross? 
Uh, you have no cross in your, this isn't a real church. Where in the Bible does it say you're supposed to put a, a wooden cross? They looked at that as an electric chair back in the day. Like where, why do, why is all these people putting electric chairs on their, on their buildings? You know, it's like, like, where does it say you're supposed to have a cross? Now, don't get me wrong. Do I love <clears throat> what happened on the cross? Of course. Um, is it okay if people wanna wear a cross or even have a cross in their church? Yes, but part of the reason we don't have a cross in this building is because everybody tells me I have to have one. And it's just, just not true. That's just man-made, stupid traditions that we come up with. And white robes and pointy hats and swinging incense, stupid man's traditions. I'm just saying, uh, check the Bible for that if you want. Uh, I always like to say, don't just take my word for it, but uh, Acts 17, 11, it, you know, you got to say, like the Bereans, search the scriptures and see if what that guy's saying is true or false. Well, Brett, doesn't tradition have something? Tradition is interesting to study. We can learn from church history, of course. But if you're making traditions of man, the rules, you're going to be off course real fast. Because we people, we blow it all the time. I love how the Bible tells us how to do church. And this is one of those areas where, as we get into this, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, man, you know, the, the mediator between God and man. Here's the Bible saying there's only one mediator, and tradition says, no, there's actually more than just Jesus. Uh, whether you're praying to the saints or whether it's your, you know, you got to go to your priest for a confession. That's just not that. Now, the Bible does say confess your sins one to another, but the priest is not the one who can forgive sins. It's only Christ. Jesus is the only mediator for sins of man. There's just goofy traditions that, that actually start to controvert the Bible. Jesus said this, for example, um, call no one your father. Of course, except your real biological father, you can call him father. But, but he's saying in the church, don't call anyone your father. And isn't it funny how the, the Catholics say, oh, we're going to call him father. Even though Jesus said, don't call anyone your father. Those are the kind of things you think, how did they get? Man's tradition gets in the way. So this idea of Jesus, he's the only mediator between God and man. That's the church right there. That's real church right there. Um, and speaking of that, uh, verse seven, he says, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. Paul say, says to Timothy, and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Man, verse eight should be marked in every man's Bible. Isn't it interesting the Lord calls us men out? I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Um, without wrath there, that's the King James way of saying it. Um, the idea is without personal bitterness. Is, if you look in the Greek text there, it's kind of an interesting word that's talking about that your heart needs to be right when you go and pray. And you shouldn't have anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, that kind of stuff in your heart when you're praying to the Lord. But, uh, and also without doubting, you know, praying like James 1.6, it talks about the, the, uh, the man who prays the prayer of, of real faith, you know, uh, that's the idea there. So um, the priority is that men pray. I would that men pray everywhere. Why does the Lord call out the men in that one? One of the things that I so appreciate about the women in our congregation and in the church of Jesus Christ is their propensity to pray and to be more spiritual than us. Women have a, just a natural proclivity to seek the Lord and pray and do spiritual things, think spiritually. We, I'm not saying this is across the boards, I'm just making a huge generalization, but the Bible makes this as well. And that is that men tend to be logical and practical. 
And sometimes for some of us, prayer doesn't seem very practical. So the Lord has to give you and me as guys uh, just a little kick in the rear and says, I would that men pray. Hello, guys. <laughs> you know, it's time to pray. You know, that's what the Lord's saying here. Uh, don't, don't miss this powerful tool that the Lord gives to us. He says, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. By the way, we lift up hands often when we sing songs of praise, and we should. The Bible says, stand up and bless the Lord your God and lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Of course, we should do that. <clears throat> but it's interesting here, the context, <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, is in the context of prayer, that we lift up our hands in prayer. Kind of like Moses on the mount there as he was praying for Joshua that was fighting in the valley. Well, here's where it gets really, really uh, sketchy for, for, uh, for when the ladies join in. Verse 9, in like manner also the women adorned themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, pause for a second. If you're a woman and you're listening to this, you got to admit, this is kind of tough. Shamefacedness and modest apparel, what's that all about? Um, and, and it's easy for us guys to go, well, I guess that's what the ladies have to do. But if you're a woman, this, this is kind of tough to hear. Now, what you have to do is compare and contrast um, who, who Paul's talking about. He's talking about the godly woman will, will have sobriety and shamefacedness. What's that? Well, the difference is the prostitutes of that day, and, and you got to understand, it, it was a little different. You know, we, we have, you know, pornography hidden away uh, in our culture on our, you know, iPhones and our computers. And, and you know, they, we don't even really have the, the same, you know, thing that we had back when I was a kid. Remember, you'd go through the store and there was the magazine racks with the cardboard covers to make sure kids weren't seeing something they weren't supposed to. Uh, and, you know, pornography. You know, today we've got it all sanitized. You know, uh, I say this facetiously. Uh, hidden away. But in Bible times, not only did they not have the magazines with cardboard covers, they had women standing nakedly in the niches of the temples to Diana. Like you could literally walk down the street and there would be prostitutes trying to woo men in to worship, you know, uh, Ashtoreth or Diana, these goddesses of fertility. And, and it, would, it was really just a, a prostitution ring but it was very open and in your face. And there was a certain way they dressed with braided hair and they didn't have, their faces were that of great confidence and luring, you know. And so Paul's talking about that the woman of, of God that's in the church is the opposite of her. That's what he's teaching. Um, and you know, from time to time, I try to help you guys out and, I, and myself as well, that we all be guys. I say, ladies, come on, be considerate of the guys you know, and what you're wearing and, uh, and in the church, you know, and, and I, I'm so thankful for that sensitivity. Uh, you know, our culture in women's lib days and the Me Too movement and all that says, guys, tough it, deal with it. You know, I am woman, hear me roar, and, uh, and I can do whatever I want and dress however I want. If, if you're lusting after me, yeah, that's your problem. That's, that's the culture we live in. How thankful I am, I am for godly women who uh, say, you know what, I, I understand that, you know, guys uh, are uh, different, that wired different than, than women. And, uh, and they are sensitive. And that's what Paul is asking is for women to dress modestly in the church. And that's something that uh, is important and good. Now, uh, so already, if you're a woman reading this, it's already kind of tough hearing that. But 
But the idea is, you know, uh, being a woman that professes godliness and has good works. But then it gets even more difficult. Verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was, the tra- was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, in my defense, I've taught this with women in the building. Um, uh, I've done this several times now. Um, and all those passages of the Bible. Now, What's going on here with this idea of let the woman learn with silence and all subjection? Well, this is the big, great controversy, and this is where George Fox and liberal churches today uh, just blow this off altogether. You know, um, it's interesting that um, I see men who've kind of checked their, their responsibility of being a man in the church just check their card at the door when they say, oh, I just love when, you know, Joyce Myers teaches uh, the church. Um, the problem is her teaching is off, and she's a woman teaching uh, as a senior pastor over men. Um, well, what does it say when it let the woman learn in silence and subjection? I suffer not a woman to teach. They just say, well, that was for that day. Uh, Paul had a problem in the church of women who were trying to, you know, be too powerful, and so he was just telling Timothy for there for that moment. What's the evidence that Paul is talking about a, a bigger frame of, or scope uh, as it relates to the role of women in the church. What's the evidence here? Anybody? God's reference to their role going back to Adam and Eve. That's a pretty big time span from Adam and Eve to the time where Paul's bringing this up. The point, he's not talking about the current culture of that day. He's talking about what happened in the Garden of Eden. There was a problem there. And by the way, this is where I think it has to do with the way men and women are wired. God has different roles for the men and, and the women in the church. And, and let me just make this clear. Just because the women are not supposed to teach or usurp authority in the church doesn't mean they're less than us. Uh, it does not mean they're less intelligent than us. In fact, uh, those of you that are married are probably like, yeah, they better not make that argument. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you gotta be careful on that one. And, and of course, uh, women are capable and, and, and so good at so many things. And, and yet God says, I want you to play this role and I want you to play the other role. It's a little bit like when you're on the football team. Um, you know, uh, I was so thrilled when I was in middle school because guess what? When I was in middle school, if you could believe this, I was quick. Uh, I was mean and lean and quick. And I, I was one of the fastest guys in the school and so I was a tailback in middle school. But by the time I made it to the eighth grade, they put me into the role of a fullback. We're a little more blocking, a little more powerful. I was slowing down just a smidge as I was a growing boy. But as a freshman in high school at 200 pounds, uh, still in great shape, I might add, I was a fullback my freshman year, fullback. Fullback and linebacker played both ways on the varsity team uh, as a freshman. But then, you know, I was getting bigger and bigger and slower and slower. I loved playing in the, you know, tailback or fullback. Those were great glory positions. But then when I reached 215, and by the way, my, my junior year, this is a funny thing, uh, no, my senior year, I was the only one on our whole team over 200 pounds. Our Hidden Valley High School, uh, we were just little tiny people, uh, these little tiny football players, except for me. 
Uh, and so what are you gonna do, you know? By the time I was a senior, I played offensive guard and linebacker. Uh, they, I was no longer running the ball, except for my senior year, we played this, do you guys remember? I think it was NC State when, remember the play they did? We did the same play they did the next week where the center um, snapped the ball and the quarterback acted like he took it and he ran back to like he was gonna, you know, he's hiding, but the center just uh, sat the football on the ground next to his foot. Well, the offensive guard, moi, uh, just reached down to pick it up and just started kind of walking toward the, the t- nobody knew where they were. And then the quarterback jumped back and yelled, fumble, and he dove over here. And all the people went and dove over here while I was walking over to the, you know, lumbering uh, over to the, uh, and made a touchdown our senior year. So I did carry the ball. Um, <laughs> Uh, my final play of my senior year. Yeah, uh, but it was not pretty, uh, to say the least. Now, all that, I, oh, why was I talking about this? Some people are made for some positions. You know, if you try to, sw- if you take in the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys and you take their offensive guard and put them in the quarterback role and you put the quarterback in the offensive guard position and you switch those two, guess what? Somebody's gonna die. <laughs> Probably the quarterback. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, the, are they going to really be effective, you know, with the big lumbering, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a Canadian football league uh, quarterback that's over 300 pounds, I forget, or he was, uh, a few years back, it was kind of fun to watch. Uh, people just kind of hang off his body, and you just kind of look around, and <laughs> arms, you know, put person hanging here, you just kind of, you know, throw, uh, it was great, but normally that doesn't work. And, and, and you just got to admit, some of you are more, you know, uh, safety or maybe, you know, uh, tight end material. And others of you know you're offensive linemen. And you just kind of have to admit your role and, and learn to, to go with it. In some ways, that's what the Lord does. He says, in the church, the men are in the position of leadership and authority, teaching the word. Uh, not so for the woman. The woman's going to have other roles. And there's great roles that the women has in the church. There's so many women in the Bible that were a giant blessing to the church, whether you're talking about Tabitha, who, you know, was just a beloved, beloved woman, or, or others, Lydia, the, the woman there at Philippi. Um, uh, you know, uh, there was Ananias, uh, not, I better not talk about them. Uh, uh, no, uh, there, there's others, you know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira are probably not the best example, but there were uh, great examples of women. And, and the roles, there are roles given, maybe not as glorious in some people's minds as what I get to do. People say, Brett, you get to teach in the Bible. Why can't women do that? Don't know. The Lord just made that clear. He did give us a little bit of a reason, though. He said that in the Garden of Eden, Eve was the one who was deceived. And I always mention this and talk about this. I don't think very many men would have fallen for the serpent thing. What'll happen if you eat the fruit? Your eyes will be opened and you'll be enlightened. And guys will be like, yeah, whatever. Kind of not into enlightenment. I'm pretty fine the way I am. Um, But a woman, whoa, you'll be more spiritual. You'll become like God. Like you gotta give the woman credit for having that desire to be deeply spiritual and become more like God. You give her credit for that, but the problem is, according to this, she was deceived easier than Adam would have been. How was Adam deceived? A naked woman. It's like, okay, I'll eat you. There's a, 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 it's like, okay. Laura's like, oh boy, okay. I'll put him in charge of the church because he's, he's gonna be not really driven to have that, that deception of deeper spiritual. By the way, think about this, new age. 
Think of all the new age that's out there today, and, and it's been out there for a long time. Who leads the new age movement largely in the world? It's, it's mostly, mostly women. Uh, and, you know, whether it's Oprah or Shirley MacLaine, or now there's a bunch of newer, you know, more uh, I am God running down the beach kind of thing, the goddess within, all that stuff. That's been around for a long time. You don't see a lot of men running down the beach saying I am God uh, necessarily. But there is this proclivity, and, and the Bible nails it down. It says men are to be the ones handling doctrine. <clears throat> now, one of the reasons I, I've been harping on doctrine lately is because the church of Jesus Christ is moving away from good doctrine. And I'm concerned about that. And I, I think there's a link to just us checking some of these scriptures out and saying, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to have women be pastors and they'll be teachers. And you know, so what a woman's senior pastor, they should have equal rights. That's what the world says. We should do that. And so I'm concerned that the role of the man, and, and here's the problem, we as men traditionally just go, well, I guess if women want to do it, they can. And we've just sat by and let this kind of happen to the church of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, especially in today's, you know, for what I'm talking about today could get you into real trouble. You know, male privilege uh, and all this stuff that's being harped on today. And what I'm saying is biblically sound, but people today really don't like what I'm saying. Um, you know, here's the thing. The men have a role in the church, and we need to do what God's called us to do, whether people like it or not. And the question I would ask you this morning is, what has been your role in the church? Don't think about anybody else. Think about you right now. What has been your role? How have you functioned in the church? And have you been a, a part of the, the solidifying and the strengthening of the church? Or have you been more of a passive male in the church just saying, well, just let the, you know, uh, so it's what a shame to see the church going off the rails doctrinally, but, you know, hopefully we'll have a few pastors that'll stay, stay the course. See, here's the thing. As I, I kind of fight this battle of good, solid doctrine that's lacking today, and you've heard me in the last several weeks trying to talk about this, even in our, um, you know, prophecy updates, one of the things in the last days is people won't endure sound doctrine, but they have, you know, teachers with, uh, you know, uh, the itching ears of the people and, you know, just trying to say what people want to hear. And, and the last days, that's what it says will happen. But what I'm actually needing from the men at Athey Creek, and, and I would hope the whole church of Jesus Christ will get, get on board with this eventually, where we realize, man, we gotta, we, we've got to stand together and do what God's called us to do. As, as far as our role as males. By the way, you know, this woman shall be saved in childbearing. Um, the word sozo there is, is for saved. It doesn't mean salvation, like she's going to go to heaven instead of hell um, to have children. Um, uh, and, and the reason I want to say that is because I know there's women listening and go, what about that? Uh, you can listen to this teaching I did on 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's online there. But, but, um, but one of the things I've noticed is one of the mistakes men have made is taking the Bible from, from the, you know, early history and using scriptures like this to sort of put women down. You know, she should be barefoot and pregnant, you know, home, uh, you know, doing dishes and diapers, and that's what she's supposed to do, and that's what she, she'll be saved. And, and I've noticed men have wrongly taught, and, and, and that's why the, the pendulum swing in our culture today is over here, where women are saying, yeah, whatever, we're going to do whatever we want in the church. Um, because men have taught this badly and not been sensitive to the wonderful roles God has called. 
I, I would say if, if men are the linemen holding the line doctrinally, um, women can, can have amazing roles in the church, whether it's women ministering with women, or we have wonderful women in our children's ministry. We have women who are caring for people that are needy and cooking meals for people that are hurting. We've got women who are helping young mothers with babies and you know, uh, people that need counsel and, and uh, suicidal, you know, women ministering to women. And by the way, I think that's more effective anyway. For women to minister to women and men to minister to men, I think that's biblical. So the thing that I want you to kind of think about as you and your role is, is just maybe a few different levels. Uh, you can jot these down, simple things to think about really. Um, number one, men are called to participate in the church. We're called to participate. Um, are you a participant or are you just an observer? Um, and how do you participate? What does that look like? Um, and man, we could do a whole session on this, men's participation in church. Um, you know, the antithesis of this would be the guy who says, I don't need to be part of the church. Um, I, I could be out, you know, fly fishing on the river. That's my sanctuary. And that's where I, I use fly fishing because I don't do that. So I can be hard on the fly fishermen in here. Um, uh, I won't talk about motocross or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever it is the guys say, instead of church, you know, I, I, I do this. And it's my sanctuary. It's where I meet with the Lord. Um, what is the church? Anybody? What is the church? Anybody? It's people. So when you say go to church, first of all, let's forget about the building. This is just a warehouse that we built that means nothing. And, and when Athey Creek's raptured, this will become a bowling alley or something, whatever. But I'm talking about people. And the church of Jesus Christ is a group of people. And you're supposed to be a part of that. And, and one of the things you're supposed to do is not be the Lone Ranger Christian, um, but you're supposed to participate in the church and the activities of the church, whether we like it or not. Brett, I'm just not a people person. I just kind of like to be home, you know, working on projects at home. I'm not a, a, a person that likes to be in a crowd. Join the crowd. Welcome to my world. Uh, you know, it's funny, like my, my, Debbie knows, my wife knows more than anybody. I am just as happy being all by myself doing things I like to do. Uh, I don't, I'm not a person that needs people uh, in my life, or so I think. I think the Lord made me a pastor because he knows I would have been extremely rebellious in this. I would have been the guy that maybe would show up at Christmas and Easter, you know, the creaster, and just kind of, uh, you know, go to church because the family wants me to. I could see myself in that role because, uh, you know, being around extra people, not my favorite thing. My, my kids are all like, when we go on vacation, like, Dad, we didn't realize you're such a non-people person. Um, it is funny because I hang out with people a lot. And so when we go on a trip or something, I'm kind of like, huh, I can be by myself. And my kids are like, Dad, you're a recluse. You're a weirdo. Um, but uh, I have to force myself to not be that. I really do. And, and uh, it's, it's part of my job description, thanks the Lord, uh, to be with people. But guess what? You're called to that too. And it can look like so many different things, but you know, you need to participate. And what that means is, is uh, be a part of what God's doing at whatever church body you're a part of. Now, this is where it gets tricky because sometimes I'm talking about Athey Creek, sometimes I'm talking about the greater church. Here's what I need to tell you. This is, a, a, especially in the COVID era, um, this is something that's being lost, I'm afraid, even more than ever as, as churches have stopped meeting and um, it's gone to strictly online. 
And so what's happening now is we're seeing men bouncing around from church teaching to church teaching, switching from this YouTube channel to the other. And, and now they've got five different pastors they're listening to, but it's making it easier for us to forget about the church. The church is not just Bible teaching. Oh, it should be that, it should include Bible teaching. But it's not just that. The church is a group of people where we're supposed to serve one another and love one another. We're supposed to be a part of the congregation. And that's something that I, I fear that we're losing. Um, it's part of why I think we need to get back to meeting because we're losing something the Bible says, nope, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as is the custom of some. And, and isn't it interesting to hear the Lord through Paul saying, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. So man, we can talk for hours on this. What, what are the things that uh, a man does to participate? There's the obvious becoming a part of the, the team here, whether you're part of you know, Sean's security team uh, or, or if you're part of the parking lot crew, getting people parked, that's, that starts to get you plugged in and getting to know people, helping with Sunday school ministry. Um, you know, we've got teams of people that are uh, you know, delivering and meals and helping people whose houses have burned down. And, and uh, we've got trips that, of men going to uh, different countries to, you know, care for, you know, messed up communities from hurricanes or whatever. Uh, we've got all kinds of things, that, kind of the, the big things. But then what about some of the more subtle things, like being here on Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights? Um, three services, that's crazy. You, you guys are fanatical. Uh, the church gathers, it's what we do. And being a part of that is to really be a part of that and be here. Um, and then not just to bolt uh, as soon as I say you're dismissed. Some of you guys are like the cartoons. As soon as I say you're dismissed, there's like a little puff of a cloud. You're like, where'd they go? They just disappeared there. It's time to go, Brett. You said dismiss. But what would happen if you engaged more as a man in the congregation? And, you know, this is where I love seeing husbands and wives ministering together, where, you know, you find someone who uh, looks a little bit alone, looks a little bit down in the church. They're, they're there to be found. Uh, it's not hard if you look. Um, a lot of times when I'm talking to people after a service up in the front, I, I'll be talking to someone and I'll be looking around and, and there's just people I go, oh, I wish somebody would go talk to that person. Oh man, I know that person is down right now. Look, just look at it, you know, and, and I'm like, where are the, the brothers who are willing to come in and stand alongside of somebody? I know it seems awkward, and, but that's what we're called to do, to stretch ourselves and, and to engage into the congregation and be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, to participate. Um, and, and man, looking for ways to participate. Now, here's what I always get after a sermon like this. People come, okay, Brett, show us what to do. I'm not sure I can always do that. Plus, I don't have all the time for that. Uh, I can't talk to the thousands of guys that are in our church and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. We do have a pastoral team that's large and can help you maybe get on the right direction and figure out what your gift is. Are you a quarterback or are you a lineman? Or are you a safety or are you a tight end? Like, like what, what is your, what is your uh, talents and gifts? And, and I love that y'all have different giftings and talents. Part of it's finding how you fit in in the church. There are churches that do this maybe better than AC Creek, but I've got an argument. My argument is a lot of times that's very contrived and, and you can make people get engaged in stuff and you got programs to get everybody all plugged in. But I notice that that stuff tends to kind of come and go and people try it, but it sort of feels weird and then they, they, they just bail. When it's more of a natural progression of a guy finding his niche in the church, and, and I think the guy's gotta want it 
and it's got to come from him, not me cracking the whip saying, come on, guys. It's more you guys saying, um, I know I need to engage in the church. Now I need to work at finding what is my role in the church. So number one, just to be a participant in the church is, is, is important. Um, and we need that today. Number two, not only are men number one to be participants in the church, but men are number two to lead the church of Jesus Christ. We need leaders. Um, and uh, frankly, I, I, I worry a little bit at Athey Creek because, you know, we're getting older now. The graying of Athey Creek now that we're 25 years old. Some of you guys in here, man, when I first met you, you were single guys, having all kinds of fun, doing fun stuff. Now I see you with child carriers and cribs rolling into church with a bead of sweat coming down your forehead and, and you're busy, uh, you know, with your families and stuff, which is great. Uh, but some of you, I see some of your kids going off to college, you know, and, and it's funny because you guys were all young when we started. And, and I love that, we, that we're getting older and more mature, hopefully. Um, but you know what I also need? I need young, I need young leaders. I need guys, and, and I, I don't know, you know, have we dropped the ball? Maybe. But I need young men who are saying, I want to be a part of, of leadership. Now, now, what that requires, this is, again, something you don't find, and, and this is where the church, I think we've, you know, the greater church has dropped the ball. Uh, how does that happen? It happens by engaging, participating. You know, the reason I was spotted by my pastor as a leader is I felt the call of God on my life, so I engaged. I did whatever they would let me do. Uh, I'm shocked that they let me do some of the things they let me do. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but at 12 years old, I started teaching first grade at one service. The next service, I was upstairs in the sound booth running the sound for the service. Uh, in the next service, I was there taking notes and listening to the sermon so that I got it down really, and I'd listen to the sermon twice that Sunday. And the reason why is I wanted to know it so well that I could teach it myself. Um, and I, I engaged. Nobody told me to do that. I just did that. And then guess what? Pastor John, my pastor, is like, who's this kid that's always here doing stuff? And he started to have breakfast with me. I remember when Pastor John, as just a kid, he said, Brett, uh, Denny's, you know, six o'clock, uh, Monday morning. So I, I'd, you know, get a lift from someone to Denny's at six o'clock. And John would start to get to know me a little more. And we started telling me about ministry. And, and I didn't spend a ton of times meetings with, with John. I wished I could have had more. But uh, how helpful it was. And he started to realize this is a, an up-and-coming young leader. And he invested time in me and taught me about leadership. And I became an elder in our church at the ripe old age of uh, 18, I think I was, when I was an elder of the church. Can you believe that? But that's, that's wrong. Did you know that Jesus called his disciples? Most of them were in their teens when he called them. Um, I think we, we have this view that the, the apostles all had gray beards as they were sitting around the table. Nope, they were all, some of them were in their teens. Uh, they were just young guys that Jesus was calling. And so I love that we, we do have some great young men, by the way, and I've spotted them and I've seen them, but we need more. Um, dads, you need to encourage your young men to engage, but if you're not engaging, what do you think they're gonna do? They're not gonna engage either. Um, one of the reasons I engaged that way as a young 12-year-old kid is my dad was engaging in the church. He was one of the elders in the church and was serving the Lord. And that was the model that I had. If I had a dad that was sitting at home watching football on Sunday morning while mom dragged us off to church, I would have at the earliest age possible stayed home with dad watching football. 
Um, you, you see, I, I believe this need that we have for young leadership at Athey Creek is, is largely because dads are not always setting the greatest example. So we need men uh, to step up in leadership. Um, you know what? I've had uh, some of our elders move on and move to other towns. Uh, during coronavirus, we have, we've had lots of Athey Creekers move to Boise and Texas. Um, they're taking the easy way out. Um, uh, I, I, moved, I moved here because I knew Portland was wacko. Like, that's why I moved here. Uh, you know, I, they needed ministry here. That's why I'm here. I'm not moving, um, I don't think. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not moving. Uh, God called me to the craziest city in America, and I love that. Um, and that's what we have. We have work to do here. So, so all that to say, you know, man, I hope we can get more and more uh, leaders, as, as I, I see a need for leaders, especially the young guys. Man, I'd love to, to see more and more of the young guys stepping up. And, and we do have some good guys that are coming up in the ranks, and I think it's awesome. So men are to lead the church, and that's not going to change at Athey Creek. Um, I've been told several times, you know, there's too much testosterone at Athey Creek. And, and I say, well, you know, maybe we're making up for so many of the churches that have too much estrogen. Uh, because I'm telling you, um, the church has been feminized. And, and, I, um, and maybe Athey Creek is swinging a little bit the other way on the pendulum. But I think if I'm, if, I, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, which I do my best to search the scriptures on this, I'm wondering if we're not strong enough, honestly. When I see the men in the early church and the way they rolled, um, we've been so pushed by culture and by what's hip today that I don't think the church is functioning in a very healthy role. Um, I think the role of men and women in marriage has messed up our view of who God is because God has a relationship with us that's like a marriage. The Jews are the wife of God, the church is the bride of Christ. And we don't even know what that looks like anymore because marriage has become so secularized that we have lost what the true male role and the female role looks like. We need men to take up leadership and to, and to not be ogres. I'm not arguing for us to be leading and saying women have no place in the church. That's, that's equally wrong and sinful. Um, we, we, we need to be the church that treats our women better than any women on the planet. But we also need to be the church that leads stronger than, than uh, most churches that I see. We need strong men leading, teaching, uh, instructing the church. Um, and then number three, not only uh, men are, uh, are to participate in the church, men are to lead the church. Number three, you're not going to like this one, and this is not going to be very popular, but I don't care. Men are to submit, to submit themselves to the church. Men are to submit themselves to the church. This is a big one. One of the reasons I think the church has gotten so bad is not only are men not engaging in the church, men are doing their own thing, even the Christian solid ones. Um, and we, we, don't, we don't value the church or the leadership or the authority of the church. Let me just show you one verse that's kind of maybe helpful. Go to uh, Hebrews with me. After Timothy, you go into Hebrews near James, that, that area. But um, check this out. This is, this is what the author of Hebrews tells the, the church in these days. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And man, this is a verse that sobers me as a church leader, sobers me right up. When I read this, I think, man, this is heavy. But it says in um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, 
for they watch for your souls as they that uh, must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. He says, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Isn't it interesting here that there, you know, the, the idea is to obey them that have rule over you. Who's got rule? That's the, we're talking about the church leadership there. Now, I'm not trying to be like the apostolic faith church. Any of you guys raised in the apostolic faith uh, movement? Uh, there's even one, what's it called? I think it's called the Christian faith movement. Don't quote me on that. But um, they, they tend to want to control your life. Is that the way it was when you grew up? Like, if you're going to get married, you better have approval from uh, A, B, and C elders and the pastor. And you also have to, if you're going to buy a house or buy some property, you have to have permission from the church. Like, there's a, there's a weird thing that's almost like a cult in some ways where they want to control you and tell you what you can and can't do. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, in fact, the scriptures talk about we as leaders, we don't want to be, have dominion over your faith, but to be what? Anybody? Huh? Helpers of men's joy. That's, that's what my role is really one. I don't want to have dominion over anybody or tell them what to do. But at the same time, I've noticed that we've lost a certain reverence for the institution and the authority of the church. And man, I could just go on and on about the evidence of that. We've become so independent. We like to be independent. You're not the boss of me. Church as you know, and maybe it's because we've lost the stained glass and the fancy robes and the pointy hats. People are like, Brett, you know, we're not going to submit to you in your leadership team. You're just a bunch of guys like us, um, which is part of what we want to be. We want to be just one of the guys. That's, that is kind of our, our thing here at Athey Creek. But at the same time, maybe we've done ourselves a disservice by maybe our presentation. I don't know. Where most guys are like, yeah, whatever. You guys are our elders, pastors, but that kind of means nothing. Um, there's no real authority. What's the evidence that I see of that? Well, let me just give you an example. This is going to shake some things up, but I see some of you, uh, you know, dads, well-meaning, I understand, baptizing your own kids on a vacation in a lake somewhere. What in the world are you doing? Like, wh- where's the church? Yeah, but Brett, you're not the boss of me. I can baptize my own kids if I want to. I don't need a pastor from Athey. I'm the pastor of my own home. That sounds great, but you're, you've been drinking your bath water, buddy. You're, your kids, you're doing them a disservice, in my uh, opinion, because when you read the Bible, uh, unless there was no other alternative, the baptisms were done publicly with the church surrounding them. It was a public profession with the, the, the leadership of whatever church of that area. It, it was a, a place where everybody, it was like making a public profession saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And it was recognized by the church of Jesus Christ. I think that's a mistake. If you're a well-meaning father, but you're baptizing your kids saying, I can do that and we don't need the church involved or the pastors at AFI involved with that. I think that's a mistake. You can disagree with me if you want, but if you'll notice, and if you do a, a search of all the baptisms, the only remote one was Acts chapter eight, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's the only one. But they were out in the middle of nowhere. Remember, uh, um, how did Philip get there? Does anybody remember? Right, they were, you know, like Philip was just kind of traveling and bumped into this guy in the middle of nowhere, sitting in his chariot. And then, you know, remember after he baptized the guy, he was translated away from there back to some other, like what a weird story that is. 
Uh, it's a pretty unique situation. This Ethiopian guy uh, who was, in, and he had a team of people around him. It was a public thing because there were people with them, but they, he said, here's water, what hinders me? There was no other alternative at that time. He says, I wanna be baptized, so they did it. I, I get that. But Philip was, by the way, a leader in the church. Do you understand that? He was, he was one of the deacons in the church. You see, I think it's a mistake. Another evidence is weddings. Um, you know, it used to be that, that being married, let me ask you guys this, your marriage, which one matters the most? That God and the church of Jesus Christ was a part of your wedding or that Kate Brown and the state of Oregon was a part of your wedding? What's the most important part? Now, don't make the mistake. Some people say, well, we don't need the state of Oregon, so I'm not even going to go get the documentation. We're just going to be married around the tree and sing Kumbaya and get married with Pastor Brett. We'll do it right here. I won't do that. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus did acknowledge the bill of divorce that was recognized by the government. Um, that, that, that is still legitimized by Jesus. Remember that? When he was talking about divorce and the hardness of men's hearts. But the idea of marriage is something that is an institution that the church has been part of. Now, I, I can't make as strong of an argument on that one as I can about baptism. But if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a father and I've got kids getting married, I, I want the church to be a part of that. And I'm going to raise my kids to know that, you know what, having a pastor, I'm not going to do your wedding. Uncle Bob's not going to do your wedding, for crying out loud but a guy who's actually a licensed, ordained minister. It used to be where you, you used to have to have that. Now you can go online and get the Church of Elvis or whatever. You know, you can get your certification to marry people and bury people uh, anywhere you want. You can Google it, man, and get it right now. You, you could be ready to marry people right now. You know what? That's just diminishing the role of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's been happening for decades. And some of you guys have that kind of a mindset. Yeah, the church, yeah, whatever. You know, we can get a pastor or, or whoever will say, you do, you don't, you will, you won't, you're married, and it's all good. I think that's, that's missing out on, on the, the authority of the church of Jesus Christ. We've become really good at being lone rangers and uh, living our lives separately from the church. I see people today uh, and I, I know this is going to make people mad, but FCA, Young Life, um, these great organizations, I should say, doing good work, but they are not the Church of Jesus Christ. They are parachurch organizations, and, and you know, they're, they're doing some good work. But here's what's happened over the years is I see a lot of men, particularly, who see the FCA and, F and Young Life as more important than the church. Well, the church isn't ministering to kids as well as uh, Young Life. We could argue that all day long, who's doing a better job or not or what have you. But if Young Life is successful, if they're successful, the thing they're going to see is people who want to love to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. If Young Life is successful, their kids will say, it's time to go to church because church is the non-negotiable. FCA, Young Life, is not the church. Now, I say this as a former FCA leader. I was a huddle coach uh, in FCA for, for a while, and I, I love the idea of fellowship of Christian athletes. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to those. But I see this thing where there's this mindset. I see um, guys that give their tithes and offerings to FCA, uh, which is not where the tithes and offerings are supposed to go. Uh, that, that's where offerings can go, but the tithe belongs to the Lord. Bring ye the tithe into the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? Anybody? Yeah, it's the church. 
And then the church uses those resources to help um, with those ministries and, and youth and all that, th- that stuff. And, and they're supposed to be doing really good at that. Boy, I wish I could, I, I, let me just say some crazy stuff. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get all the really cool FCA leaders that are out there and just have them be part of our youth team at AFI? All the, the AFI Creek FCA people or Young Life people say, that's gonna be our youth team. But you know what, none of them will do that. Uh, I, they, they, the ones I've talked to are said, no, 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 FCA is more important and Young Life's more important than, um, than the church. That's just the way I feel. That's the way I, I see it kind of rolling out. Don't get me wrong. I love those organizations, but man, um, the mission field, the church should be doing the missionary work. A lot of uh, parachurch uh, missionary groups are out there and uh, God bless them. I love what Wycliffe Bible translators do and, and stuff like that. That's great. But you know, it's interesting. The church is trying to do really great missionary work too. And I would, I'm just going to say it. I think that as you go through the church, well, Brett, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Um, we're all the church, all the people in FCA, all the people in Young Life, all the missionaries, we're all just the church. You said it's not the building. It's just the people. True. But by definition, if, you, if you're true to the New Testament, who's supposed to lead the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Um, <laughs> Jesus is always the answer. You're right. Yep. Jesus. Um, yep. Yeah, that's the way he said it too. Um, but, but then who's supposed to lead? Who's the under shepherds of the church? Pastors, elders, deacons. Uh, there's another one in there that I'm going to put in there. Bishops. Uh, Brett, do you have bishops at Athey Creek? We do. It's just the word bishop became kind of weird with the Catholic Church and some of the, so we don't call them bishops anymore. We call them, well, the Greek word is not bishop, it's episkopos. And, the, and in, in the word it says there were episkoposes. Uh, well, who are they? We call them governing elders because they function as an elder in the church, but they have a, an additional role of governing kind of the, the church, really guiding, leading the church on every level. So we have a team of governing elders who are the guys that do everything from dis- discern how to you know, use the resources and the finances that we have and big decisions the church has, that's the governing elders. We have a greater group of elders, great men who are given specifically, you know, Acts chapter six, to the ministry of prayer and the word, ministering to the congregation, leaders in the church. We have a group of deacons who are helping with the logistics of the church. And remember they had to get the deacons because the elders were so busy taking care of logistics that they weren't able to pray with people. So we have deacons who are taking care of some of those logistics of our church. Um, But the church by definition is not led by FCA director or Young Life directors. The church of Jesus Christ is led by pastors, elders, and deacons. You wanna know why I got out of, out of FCA? I'll just tell you. Um, I, was, I had a great huddle coach at Wilson, I was a huddle group at um, Wilson High School. Uh, maybe you guys remember Tyler Ross, played in the Fiesta Bowl uh, for Oregon State years ago, but he was a high school kid when I was an FCA director at Wilson. We had this great group of kids and it was growing and it was thriving and it was doing really, really well. Well, the, FCA, the new FCA director that was in town was a woman. And uh, she called me and said, uh, Brett, you know, we love what's going on. Your, your group's growing and it's thriving. Wow, we wish every FCA group could be like this. And I said, thank you, that's great. I'm having a blast. But we have a problem. I said, uh-oh, what's that? 
Well, we notice that you take the young men out for burgers after school, but you don't take the young girls out, you know, one-on-one, like you take the young guys out. I said, yeah, that's not gonna happen. And you know what her, her response was? What's wrong with you in the Pacific Northwest? All you guys have this weird thing about, you know, men taking girls out for lunch. And I just said, well, you know, I said, here's the thing, you know, and I tried to explain as a Bible teacher, you know, to be above reproach, abstain from the appearance of evil. And, you know, and I said, there's great women that we have in our, uh, you know, in our, at our resources that can meet with girls and guys can meet with guys. And, you know, I'll take a group of guys and girls out together and for burgers, but I'm not going to meet one-on-one. Well, they said, that's not going to, that's not going to work. We need, and so I resigned. Now she's no longer part of that, uh, thank the Lord, um, that group. And the FCA director now locally here is awesome, I gotta say, really, really cool guy. Um, and uh, I don't know him personally, but I, I do know of him and, and just a great, great dude. So don't get me wrong. But see, this is what I'm talking about. This is where when a woman's in a leadership role, I'm not sure there's a discernment there that God has given. There's other things that women have that are way better than men. But in the area of just, just being leaders of the church, God says men are supposed to lead that. So that's why I can't say that the FCA or the Young Life or these, um, you know, um, Wycliffe or, or um, YWAM or whatever these groups are, as good as they might be, they're not really part of the church because they're not under the authority of pastors, elders, deacons. Um, that's a real church, not a fake church. I hope that you guys will... will sort of get behind me and our leadership team here at Athey and say, you know, you know what, this might be, seem weird. You might think we're male chauvinistic. You might think we're trying to control things, which we're not, but let's legitimize the church again. Let's say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna have the church get back to having some authority and saying weddings, funerals, you know, uh, you know uh, um, the things that are, are you know, baptism, uh, the things that the church is supposed to be a, a part of and linked to in people's lives. Let's, let's, let's bring back the, the validity and the value of that. Athey Creek should not just be a place where people hear teaching from this big mouth. It's a big mouth. Um, and I love to teach, but that's not what church is, to just come and listen to a dude talk. That's part of it. But, but the church is a group of people that we realize this is an institution that God acknowledges. God only acknowledges three institutions, and it's not Young Life, FCA, and YWAM. The three institutions God actually acknowledges is number one, um, the, the, the family, mom, dad, and the institution of the family, which the world is really hostile toward right now, by the way. Um, number two, government. God acknowledges government, that we're to submit to the powers that be and that the authorities are of God. Uh, you can't make that argument that even though government gets corrupt, uh, we can still know that God is interested in government and we're supposed to submit to authority. Uh, but number three is the institution of the church. And he doesn't really recognize any other institution. So these guys that are out there, these men that are out there just kind of being the Lone Ranger and giving their tithe to their favorite group and, and kind of baptizing their own kids and doing their kids' weddings and stuff and saying, eh, we don't really need the church. I think they're doing a disservice to their kids and to the people involved because the goal is to be linked to God's people, to be linked to the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think we're doing a disservice to that. I know that for some, you might be wrestling with this. And I've been thinking about this, praying about this for a long time. But I'm concerned because I wonder if we're coming to the day, and man, I'm way over time, so I gotta sum it up here, wrap it up. 
Uh, I, I wonder if we're coming to the day where the church is gonna need to be recognized because we're gonna need marching orders. What do you mean, Brett? Well, in this COVID thing, for example, uh, whether churches should meet or not meet, man, we've heard screaming from both sides. Some people said, man, what in the world? We got a big complaint from somebody uh, last week that reported us to Clackamas Health or whatever because we're meeting with people with, and not everybody's, well, we're, we're, not everybody's wearing masks. Um, and so people are, you know, and that's our second complaint, and this could put us on the, on the radar. Um, and and, and, and so people are screaming at us about how we're doing that. Other people are screaming, we should have opened a long time ago and forget all this stuff. And, and, and we got people screaming about that and telling pastors, all our leadership team, what we're supposed to do. Um, like we haven't thought about it. Then we got stupid guys. Um, I got to say, there's like this one guy um, that uh, was on our social media and so, some lady asked, why are you guys doing tickets? And we explained, because we need to you know, keep the number to a minimal because we're still trying to, you know, do wise social distancing. And then this other guy chimes in, you churches that have rolled over for Kate Brown and because he saw the word social distancing. Little did he know he was screaming at a church that has reopened. Um, and he was just dumbly replying saying, you churches have just caved in and you need to start meeting again. And I wanted to say, you're an idiot, uh, but I didn't. Um, um, I, I didn't uh, because I knew that was sinful and wrong. Um, because here we are opening the very church that he was trying to say we should be. Uh, he just didn't, he wasn't, he just wasn't, what, what should I say? He just wasn't aware of what was going on there, um, uh, the explanation. But all that to say, we need to get back to authority because I, I wonder, when, let's say persecution really does become bigger. And I could see that happening in a fairly short order where the church is, we're really gonna have to kind of be on the same page. And Here's what I would recommend. Uh, find a church that you can go to, and if it's not you guys here or guys and you know, people out online right now, make sure you're plugged into a church that you can say, you know what, we're gonna pray for our leaders, our pastors, elders, deacons. Um, we're gonna pray that they lead the church wisely. Um, because frankly, you know, when people would call us or yell at us and say, you guys need to do this or you guys need to do that, um, whatever happened to them realizing, wow, there are pastors and they're the ones who God has placed in authority to lead the church. And, you know, the truth is my elders and my team, we've blood, sweat, and tears prayed about all this stuff. We haven't just glibly said, oh, I think we should meet again. You know, whatever, uh, it's time to meet. No, we, we have been on our knees praying. And I would argue more than the average person by a hundred times over. We've been deeply praying, searching the scriptures. We're the ones saying, man, we bear this weight of responsibility of what we should be doing as a church. And I'm not saying that every church should be doing the same thing. It is interesting. Once Athey Creek opened our doors, um, we're seeing a lot of other churches now opening their doors. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but they were kind of looking, are you gonna open your door? Are you gonna? And one pastor met with me and said, well, when you guys opened your doors, we decided we're gonna open our, and, and whatever. But it was not something we just took lightly. And, and so um, we understand there's gonna be people that don't agree and think we're all wacko. But maybe Athey Creek's not the church for them. Totally get that. But what I need from Athey Creek men is for us to stand together. Let's just say suddenly persecution comes. And um, let's just say the Proud Boys and the Prayer Patriots and uh, other groups are saying, it's time to go to war. Um, what I hope guys would do is say, um, boy, those are institutions 
that you know may or may not be evil or good or bad. I'm not going to even make that argument right now. Um, I don't even really know much about the uh, the Proud Boys, uh, but um, you know the thing is. They're all at, people are saying, well, what are those groups gonna do? I would wonder if, if the wise man says, what is the church of Jesus Christ gonna do in days of persecution? Not what are the proud boys with our ARs and all this stuff, what, what, not, not that. What's the church of Jesus Christ? See, I saw a chink in our armor with the COVID thing. I saw bad behavior from Christian men just saying, here's what we're gonna do and forget the church. And you guys, I think that's gonna be a mistake. It really is gonna be a mistake. And I I think like the early church in in the book of Acts, when they were under persecution, they moved as a unit and the Lord blessed the, the, the church grew under persecution, radical persecution more than you and I could even imagine. There were 10 waves of persecution from the Roman empire that were profound but the church got stronger and bigger every step of the way because they were together as a church. Today, I worry that people don't even care about the church. They're gonna look at all the other institutions and groups and harebrained ideas of how to defend ourselves and stuff like that. I think the church of Jesus Christ should be your, as a man, your number one group that you're linked to, associated with, submitted to, serving with, praying for. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We need to get back to that. That's my prayer for you guys, for all, for all of us guys. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we, we look at the days we're living in and they're perilous times, like, like Paul said there to Timothy. Um, and I know certain men are always gonna just kind of do their own thing and go their own way, but I pray that your church in these last days that we're living, that we would be in line with your heart, your mind, that we wouldn't make our decisions with a hot-tempered, headed, uh, strong-headedness, but that we would make our decisions on our knees, seeking your face, seeking your word, looking to the scriptures for wisdom. Lord, I pray blessing upon the women at Athey Creek. I pray that they'd be the most loved on, cared for, protected, but blessed women on the planet. But I also pray that we as men would know what our role is uh, biblically, and that we would step up to the plate and do what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be. So bless the brothers of Athey Creek, bless the brothers of the entire church of Jesus Christ. Lord, where churches have become feminized, even pastors feminized, Lord, I I worry about our young men and the models that they have to to see of what a a man of God really looks like. Um, I pray that you would restore the strength in your church, Lord, and that men would take up the, the, the charge to be what, what you've called them to be, to serve you, to walk humbly with you, but with real strength. Lord, may doctrine be restored. May solid biblical teaching be given, Lord. We pray your covering on your church. In Jesus' name, amen.